Okay, so for your annotated bibliography, keep in mind that we have this peer review, and then the next class period, we have the other, another peer review for the entire Big Fat Mama, right? Tell me your experience writing these three annotations or six paragraphs. How did you feel about it? Was it easier than you thought? Harder than you thought? I didn't You didn't want to? Fair. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Really getting to that point where the senioritis is deep in your bones. I feel that. Yes. <laughs> Let's rephrase this by saying that you're learning the skills to address and complete hard things even when everything in your body tells you that you don't want to do that. Right? These are the skills that are more important than good writing skills are the skills to freaking push through even when it sucks. That more than anything is going to get you through college. I don't care what class it is, right? Because you're going to reach that point in every class. We're all tired. We all need that Thanksgiving break for sure, right? But the good news is that the annotated bibliography takes very little higher level thinking. Am I wrong? It's relatively easier, right? If you're hitting a bout of senioritis, this is a good assignment to hit it with. Does that make sense? Like it's not, it's not brain surgery, right? Literature review different, this is simple, okay? So with that in mind, it's important to remember that you have this green sheet out and you should keep this out for you during the, during the peer review because we're gonna go, this is gonna be our map, right? And honestly, for your annotated bibliography, if you did the graphic organizer well, all you had to do is put this stuff into sentences, the information that you've already selected. Yes? Should you, in your annotated bibliography, be introducing the titles of sources in your text? Right. So, in your annotated bibliography, in the paragraphs under the citation, should you be fully introducing the author and the title of the text? No. Why? Somebody explain why. Is it on my student example? Yes. You don't need to do that. No, 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 it's not wrong. You just don't need to. Why? Because the information is where? It's literally right there, right? But again, is today's peer review graded? Are, are, am I going to record your grade from today? What, what did I tell you the reason for today's peer review was? to make sure you're not doing weird stuff. That's what today is for. Yeah, you're gonna, give them a, you're gonna give them a rubric. I'm not recording that, I'm just recording that you did it, right? Again, we're not looking for perfection. This is an assignment that you've never done before. Asking for perfection would be weird and unreasonable, yes? We're just looking for ways that you are off track and fixing it, yes, dear? So on the second paragraph, mm -hmm. So you don't need to introduce the secondary article either because where is all of the information for the secondary article? So do we just say like 2.3 or 2.3? No, don't, re don't reference it by number, reference it by author name always. So this refers to Coyne's article or this article will serve as a contrast to Coyne's article. It's as simple as that because the article's already there and the annotation about that source is literally within the same paper, right? So remember, when we're doing a formal piece of prose writing, we're always introducing things formally. We're always being really clear. But this assignment is an exception in so many ways because the clarity is built in to the definition of the assignment. Does that make sense? 
Sort of, kind of. Okay, we'll get into that in a second. So we don't need to introduce the author again, even by first and last name, because where is their first and last name? Just like right above where you're introducing it, right? Like literally within ice, within, you can see it, right? But again, in a regular piece of writing, when you introduce a text, it must always be by author full name, text full name. But that's why this assignment is weird, because it breaks all the rules I've tried so hard to drill into the marrow of your bones. Yes? Yeah, okay. What other rules can this assignment break before we even get started? What's that? Yeah, so you can speak in first person because this is literally, think like you're, you're thinking ahead. You know how like as a future parent, you like when you're pregnant with your first kid, you do all those sentimental things like write letters to them. No, nobody knows that? Oh, good. <laughs> so um, you like try to think of all these sentimental things and you try to like preemptively think about the questions that they're going to have about life and you try to answer those before you realize that all the ideas you had before kids were stupid. You know what I'm saying? Like all of the ideas that you had, literally every single one of them, whatever. That's a whole different conversation. But what I'm trying to say is this annotated bibliography is a letter to your unborn child. <laughs> it is. Wait for the metaphor. You're going to see how brilliant it was. Okay. So this is a letter to the person who will be reading your future paper. Right? This is essentially you saying to the person who will be reading your future paper. Here is why I included these sources. Here's why they matter. And here's why they will provide balance in this conversation that I'm writing about. It's essentially an answer to all the questions that they might have when they do emerge. <laughs> when the baby, no. <laughs> do you see the metaphor? It was so, I messed it up there. What I'm saying is you're talking about, you're giving advice and answering questions in a future situation for the person for your baby. But your baby is the literature review too. Do you not see that? Your baby, you see? Because the outlines were like the gestation of your baby. <laughs> Writing it is like the labor for your baby. For some of you, this is the closest you'll ever come to, you know. <laughs> so, right? And then turning it in is the birth of your baby. Nobody? Literature review. <laughs> I could go further, but I'm not going to because this is being recorded. Do you understand what I'm saying? But here's the thing. Um, okay, so, okay, but do you understand what I'm trying to say? The annotated bibliography is a letter to your unborn child. Like, it's a, it is answering the questions that will be asked when someone is reading your literature review, too. Can we end it there? It went so long. Okay. <laughs> let's continue. Let's talk about how it was conceived. <laughs> no, no, no. Let's not do that. Okay. Um, for those of you listening to this recording, I wish I could say that that was just an unfortunate one-time only tangent, but I can't honestly say that. So it is what it is. Okay. So now take a look at your green sheet. Remind, this is a reminder that what you're looking for in your friend's paper is quite literally these things in this order exactly. That's all, right? We're just looking for them to answer these six things or five, oh, five things on this cardstock green paper. We're looking for them to address all of those things in this order in two separate paragraphs. It's all outlined for you. Now, a couple, a couple things that people emailed me about were not about the content, but about the formatting. 
So the formatting of this gets really weird because if you say that you want a hanging indent for your citations, then it won't indent each of your paragraphs of your annotations. So what you have to do, this is going to be so fun for you to know, you have to just highlight the citation, each individual one, and put hanging, and then highlight the annotation and put regular indentation, right? So you have to literally switch the indentation style for every single one. Luckily, you only have six. Wait till you have 10 to 12. <laughs> okay, so um, now take a look at their paper. And we're just looking at the formatting stuff. If we take a look at our rubric, on the rubric, we're talking about the very, very bottom line, MLA formatting. So they should have a page number in the top right-hand corner of their page. And their last name should right, be right before the number. Some of you are real cute and you're like, the name is in Times New Roman, but the number is not. Some programs won't let you change the formatting of the number. And in that way, we are deciding right now that the formatting of the number itself is not the hill that we are going to die on, right? But the name itself does need to be in Times New Roman 12-point font. And it should be a half inch from the top of the page, but a full inch from the right-hand side of the page. So far, so good. If they put a heading on their paper, that's okay, but just know, I mean, if they put a heading on their paper, it will be there. Like that is supposed to be there, it is the assignment, so on the first page there should be a heading. But if they didn't put it, just let them know that it needs to be there next time, because this, this is being submitted as a separate assignment. For every separate assignment, you need to have a heading on the first page, yes? If they have a heading, double check that it's formatted correctly. I hope I don't need to tell you how it should be formatted at this point. Oh, but for the people in the recording, it needs to start with their first name, last name on the first line, on the second line, the teacher's name, on the third line, the title of the class and the period, and then the fourth line, the date in date, month, year, order, no commas. Uh, no abbreviations either. Okay, um, then you need to have a title. It can be anything from annotated bibliography to annotated bibliography for such and such a topic annotated bibliography for literature review, whatever you want to title it, again, this assignment is not about your brilliance, right? We're not looking for your gorgeous title that perfectly encapsulates your thesis. That's not what the purpose of this assignment is. Purpose of this assignment is informational, robotic transfer of information to your reader, right? Save all your brilliance for literature review too. Um, then we got to talk about the indentations and it's going to get weird, right? So first, check and see that their works cited citations are in alphabetical order. That's job number one. There should only be three citations. If they did more, hooray, but we're only looking at three. And then make sure that just the works cited citations, just the citation parts, are in hanging indent format. So remember, you got to highlight the citation, select special hanging indent, and then for the annotation, you select regular normal indentation. You're just doing the highlighted portion one by one, inch by inch, right? It's a nightmare. But luckily, the rest of the assignment isn't, so you're fine. You know what I mean? So if they don't have their paragraphs indented, it's because they tried to keep it in hanging indent thing and then they couldn't figure out how to indent it. Just write them a note and say that they need to change, highlight the entire annotation for that citation and change it to regular indentation. Then, yes dear? What if they don't have their citation at 
If they don't have their citation at all, just know that the annotated bibliography, by definition, is the citation, then the annotation for that citation. So without the citation, it's incomplete. Write them a big old fat note that they can't miss. You know what I'm saying? But again, we're not here, this is not a punitive peer review. We're just checking for weirdness, which is why we do these things. Yes? Is there anything you like a clear distinction between the two paragraphs? Yes, there should be a clear distinction between the two paragraphs, so there should be two clearly indented paragraphs after each citation. If they got weird with the indentation, that's where you write them that they have to switch the settings for just the annotation back to normal indentation. By the end of this class, you'll be so familiar with that settings board menu up at the top. You're welcome. <laughs> oh, brother. Um, and then make sure that there's no extra spaces after paragraphs. It should be all evenly double-spaced, no exceptions. And this is the part where we would normally check their citations and check that they're correct, but I'm assuming that they've made any necessary revisions from our last peer review for the works cited citations. So we're just going to assume that they're correct at this point. Yeah? So now that we've looked through all of that, give them a score for MLA. And if they didn't have those indentations, it should be a two or a one, but then they can just fix it and it's fine. Yes, dear? Say that again? Oh, they only have two annotations? Yeah. They just didn't complete the assignment and that's, you just tell me who it is later. Yeah. Um, okay. Uh, so the assignment for today will be that you just are completing these assignments in good faith for the peer review, right? So all I'm asking you to do is have it complete. I'm not giving you a grade for whether or not it was done well. I'm asking for you to have completed the requested portion by that time. That's how you'll be graded for these. The peer reviews from here on out are not punitive. I'm not recording those. I'm giving you points for bringing it on paper. I'm giving you points for submitting it on Canvas and I'm bringing, giving you points for participating in the peer review. That being said, even though I'm not recording your grade, that's 60 points for each peer review, right? So don't mess around with those points, yeah? Okay, so next, we'll take a look at the source credibility and bias. This is where we're gonna start looking into the content of your paragraph. So take out your first color and on your green sheet, match up that color with number one. I don't care what color it is, but for number one, you're gonna highlight wherever they're trying to do number one, that's gonna be in that first color. So put the highlighter color next to it so it can be the same for each citation, right? And then for number two, put your second highlighter color next to it so you'll know that everything that falls under information for number two is in that next color. I'm talking about on this green sheet. So you are making a key for yourself essentially, right? Yes, dear? How dare you? There's one up here. Maybe it's like on my keyboard, I want to say. I think it's on my keyboard. Oh, did you both forget it? You're going to have to share because that's the last one I have. You share with your table mates. You know what I'm saying? Just put it right there on the desk. Okay. So essentially what I want you to do is we're gonna, I'm going to walk you through it, but I'm going to ask you to highlight each of these components and then tell your reader whether or not you think that they effectively answered that component, okay? So first you're going to highlight that component. Second, you're going to tell them whether or not it's effective. 
So for example, let's start with the first one. In the first citation, you're going to look at, did they describe the author, the author's credentials, meaning why, does the author, why is the author an expert in this field? If they weren't specific, it means they didn't Google it and they didn't look up the information. That's not thorough enough, right? I need to know what education the author has. I need to know if they're working in that field as an expert, right? Um, we need to know the media outlet, whether it's a scholarly journal article coming from a scholarly journal or if it's coming from a news organization, right? Um, the media outlet and the type of source. Is it a video? Is it a scholarly journal? Yes. If they put the title of the journal in their writing, it needs to be italicized because that's MLA. Yes, dear. Sorry, just a little bit louder. Okay, I think I answered this question before, but let me repeat it. So when we're doing an author list of multiple authors, remember the reason we keep it in that same order all the time is because the first author listed is the one that's most responsible for it, right? It's kind of like billing in a movie. Hello, dear. It's kind of like billing in a movie. So you're going to talk about just the credentials of the first author and then say that the remaining authors are also experts in the field. That's all you need to say, right? Yes. You don't, what I'm meaning is that you don't need to introduce the text as you would in a literature review, right? So-and-so oh, okay. wrote the article entitled blah blah bloop bleep blop We don't need that, right? But what we do need is so-and-so has a PhD as an is a PhD engineer. He teaches at something-something state university and is an expert in this field. He published this in a scholarly journal article, in a scholarly journal, which is peer-reviewed and widely assumed to be credible, right? That's what we're talking about. So yeah, you're gonna need to put their name, but you just don't need to introduce it formally as you would in a literature review. So highlight where they're talking about the author, the author's credentials, the media outlet, and the type of source. But you don't need to talk about the credibility yet, you just need to talk about who wrote it and where it was published, right? Because the credibility part of that is in the second bullet point. But if that is happening in there, like if it's happening within the sentence, you can just highlight in the second color the credibility part, right? Yeah. So is it the same like with like the at all? So there's like three authors or something, you just have to say like that they're all um, like experts in the field. And then you just talk about the, the first, first author. author. Right? Yep. Okay. Yep. Because you know how in movies, the person who has the biggest role is always billed first, right? Same idea with academic stuff. The person who's listed first either has the biggest role or the most professional responsibility for that writing. Yeah. Okay, sorry, I have another question. Don't apologize for asking um, questions, dear. Uh, this is school. Instead of putting, like, like, the journal or wherever it came from, they just said it came from JSTOR. Um, just tell them that they, JSTOR, okay, so remember, just saying that something comes from Netflix doesn't tell you anything about it, right? It could be like a kind of like NC-17 romantic thing, or it can be a documentary, right? Just saying that it comes from Netflix doesn't help me at all, right? Saying that it comes from a scholarly journal, they don't even need to say the name of the scholarly journal because it's right up there in the citation, right? 
I'm just like, I am the annotation and the citation is right here. That's why I keep pointing up. Get it? No? Okay. So they don't need to specifically say the journal title. It's okay if they do, right? They don't need to specifically say the journal title, but we do need to know that it was published in a scholarly academic journal because the type of source, the credibility is built into that kind of source because it's peer reviewed. And the fact that it came from a scholarly journal means that it came from a database that's been vetted by professionals. So the, the credibility is there. So we have to say that it came from a scholarly journal article. Yeah, question? Or are you just looking? You're just being attentive? Okay. So far, so good. We're just still working on the first, the first citation. Let's just get the hang of it and then we'll move on to the rest, okay? So now move on to number two. Number two is where we talk about the credibility of the things that we just mentioned. It's okay if the credibility is mentioned within the sentences when they're introducing it. Just make sure to differentiate the colors so you know they need to talk about separately the credibility of the author themselves and the credibility of the outlet themselves. Here's the reason. You can be a totally credible author and publish something in an uncredible place. Or you could be a totally nonsense author and publish something in the New York Times. But you have to have both. Does that make sense? You have to have credibility of author and credibility of the outlet in order for it to be okay for an academic source, right? Then the other point of credibility that a lot of you struggled with, but is probably the most important point of credibility, is that it is current. Each one of your professors in college is going to have a def different definition of what they require and what they consider to be current. But I gave you our definition of what current means on that TAN sheet. So if it's a scholarly journal article, it needs to be published within the last eight years, which means 2013 or beyond. So when you're talking about the date in the annotated bibliography, you could say um, this was published in 2016, which means that it is current enough to be considered a reliable and current resource. Simple as that, right? All of, as far as I know, all of your dates are credible because I've checked them. So now you just need to say that the date is credible. The credibility regarding the date is sound because it was recent enough. Does that make sense? Sort of? Okay. But if it's a news article, it needs to have been printed within the last year in order to be considered credible. So remember, credibility of outlet, credibility of author, and credibility of the date. Those things are all in your second color. And they could be within the introduction of those things as well, too. So now with each of these things, make sure you're telling your friend in pencil like, or in your pen in the margins, do you think they covered that adequately or do, did they miss something? Do you think that that was done well, appropriately, or do they need to fix it somehow? That's where your feedback should be. Don't just give them a paper that has highlights on it. The highlights got to mean something. Yes, dear? What's I would love, so she's asking about where it says bias, right? You're, the part of the author's credibility is whether or not they exhibited bias, right? But the problem is, can you be a biased writer and still have what you wrote be credible? Can you? You can, right? So you can talk about the bias. If there's no bias, then I guess the conversation's over. But I would argue that there's bias in everything because everything's an argument, quite literally everything, right? But if no bias was evident, that's okay. 
but in order to talk about your author's credibility, they either need to be completely unbiased or they need to be biased, but because they're an expert in the field, their bias is credible because they're backing it up with their expertise and their research. Does that make sense? So if you want to talk about the bias, talk about it in terms of whether or not the author is credible as they exhibit that bias. So you should be writing in the margins whether or not they did a good job with those things. And let's move to the third one. Briefly summarize the major claim and ideas of the source. This is the part where you say, this source says, yes, euthanasia should be legal. This source says, no, euthanasia should not be legal, right? This is where you answer your research question for that source, right? This author is neutral on the overall question. They side this way on this nuanced point and this way on this nuanced point, right? This is where you're summarizing their major claim in reference to your question, right? You don't want to just summarize the article because it's fun. Remember, the point of the summary is to say where they fall within your conversation because we got to talk about balance. We got to talk about whether or not you are representing all of the sides of this conversation. This is where we start to pull at that thread at least, right? So that should be in your third color, the summary and then tell them whether or not you feel like what they did was accurate and appropriate for the assignment, which was to briefly summarize the major claim and ideas of the source. And that should conclude your first paragraph of your first annotation. Say that again. Oh, you've been doing it all. I was just, we were starting, I wasn't super clear, so it's not your fault, but I, we were just starting with the first annotation and then we'll carry over what we learned to the next ones. But if you want to overachieve and do them all at once, there's no law against it. You know what I'm saying? So now we're moving into the second paragraph. And the second paragraph talks about now that you've discussed the credibility and the main ideas of your source, now you need to tell the reader why does this source belong in this paper about this topic and how does it relate and provide balance with the other sources? That's the purpose of that second paragraph, right? Because it's not enough to say what it's about. You gotta tell me why did you even put it in your paper in the first place? How does it help provide a balanced picture of this whole conversation? Right? So for number four, you're looking at your fourth color of highlighter here. For number four, you're looking to where the person is answering this prompt. Discuss how your source relates to, intersects with, or contrasts with the other sources in your annotated bib. You do not need to discuss how it relates with all of the other five sources. Right? I'm what this isn't written as clearly as as it, it would be helpful if I just said one more source. But what I'm really getting at here is, why did you bring that source in? If it was a hard yes, you brought it in to counteract your hard no. Does that make sense? Right, you brought it in to provide balance to Smith's source on the other end of the opinion spectrum, right? So all you have to do is mention one other source, but if they mentioned a lot of other sources, that's okay too. They're just getting more specific, that's okay. But again, they need to say, how does it relate to or intersect with or contrast with other sources in the text? 
So highlight in your fourth color where they actually talk about that in their second paragraph. Did they not do it, Jackson? They don't have a second paragraph. Oh, no. So, but you wrote them a note and they know exactly what they're missing, right? Okay. So then you can just move on to the other sources and grade what they do have. Okay. Um, then in the fifth color is where they're supposed to talk about how they will use this source in their literature review. And it's kind of a little bit similar to number four, right? But slightly different because you're talking about why does this source belong in this conversation? Why did you bring it in? Chances are you probably brought it in because you were desperate for a source, right? But when you get into real research, you will have spent hours and hours and hours and there's very, very clear and specific reasons about this, why you included this source, right? So describe how you use this, how you will use, how you will use this source in your literature review. Answer how this source contributes to the conversation as a whole, right? And this is where you discuss how your source provides balance. So think about that spectrum of you need one source that's a hard yes, hard no, medium yes, medium no, neutral yes, neutral no. And you can even explicitly state, I brought this source in as a moderate yes to my question, right? I'm sure that the description of what I'm looking for is longer than what your sentence should be in answering that description. Does that make sense? It can be one sentence is what I'm trying to say. So as this pertains to the rubric, take the rubric out. So you have discussing the source credibility and bias. That's number one on the list, right? And then the author credentials and bias, that's, well, technically number one and number two, right? And then the summary of sources is number three on your list. So I guess a better way to put it is the source credibility, in row one and row two on the rubric are combined numbers one and two on the green page, right? And then summary of sources is number three on the green page. Use and explanation, um, Explanation of use and conversation contribution, that's number five on the green page. And then connection to other sources is number four on the green page. So hopefully you're seeing how this rubric corresponds with your green page specifically. And then we'll talk about the writing style in a second. But what I need you to do is go through each of, each of the citations and answer see how they did these five things on the green sheet, whether or not you felt it was effective, and give them an overall score for just those three annotations. Give them an overall score for how did they talk about the source credibility and bias, is it clear? How did they talk about the author credentials and bias, is it clear? Did they give an, a good summary of the source that answers your overall question? Did they explain how it was, why it belongs in this conversation, right? So hopefully you're seeing how that, so fill out the rest and just leave the, second to last row and the third to last row empty because we'll talk about the writing style in just a second. So go ahead and finish the grading of the remainder of the annotations using the green sheet.
and highlighting in the same color each time. And the key is that there shouldn't be a highlight without a message with it, whether or not you think they did it or whether or not you think something needs to improve there. All right, so a couple more minutes to finish up those rubric rows and the highlighting there. So in the future, if you don't have the assignment done for peer review, like you haven't completed it, it's still better to get partial points by bringing what you have in than no points at all, right? Partial's still better, you know. But hopefully you're seeing how after this peer review, writing the rest of your annotated bib will be pretty fast. At least I hope so, right? And then 
next class you're coming in with your entire annotated bibliography completely finished and printed we'll peer review the whole thing and then it'll be due you can spend the day before Thanksgiving break revising it in class if you want to or you can revise it at home submit it and then start working on literature review one in class the day before Thanksgiving break either way it'll be a work day yeah okay so now let's take a look at conventions and clear concise and formal just because this assignment is kind of like a robotic like tell me why it matters and how right it's very simple it still requires college level writing that means college level conventions and college level style right so let's start with style specifically style refers to several things but listen to the description here clear and concise sentence structure right no long-winded rando sentences vague pronouns are kept to a minimum annotated verbs are well utilized so instead of the author writes or the author says we use those annotated verbs from our annotated verb sheet right and the rules of formal writing were followed tell me some of the rules of formal writing friends transitional words and phrases yes that is part of style they shouldn't just be jumping into a new paragraph without a connection there of a transition of some kind right they shouldn't be jumping into a new idea right from on the green sheet they shouldn't be jumping from number two to number three without a transition phrase right because it's a whole new idea within that paragraph what else do we talk about when we talk about formal writing what are some other rules of formal writing right yes so usually formal writing violation would be you using first or second person pronouns I me we you us right those are usually no-no's but for this paper only the personal pronouns are okay because you're saying I am including this in my paper because does that make sense that's okay but there's another component to formal writing not only is it sentence structure but what is it specifically when we talk about formal writing could you say something like, this author is believable in stuff? Could you? Okay, so keep in mind that this still has to be college level writing, which means your word choice is elevated. You're not using any slang or informal language choices, right? We're still writing in a college formal academic setting, right? So everything should be elevated from the sentence structure to the annotated verbs to the word choice or diction, we call that, right? And another uh, concern when we're talking about style is vague pronouns. If they say they or them or it, is it clear what they, them or it is referring to directly? If they've mentioned three things in the sentence and then they use it, that it could refer to any of those previously mentioned things that makes it vague right so go through and read for formality highlight any issues with vague pronouns if they're missing transition language if they're missing an annotated verb if they wrote this author writes or talks about or says instead of a gorgeous annotated verb that's on the sheet that I gave you let them know so read through it once for concerns with style Pardon the interruption. Can I get Kylie Gifford down to the counseling center, please? Can it wait like five minutes? Uh, I believe so. Okay, wait. Well, if, if if it can't, you can just message me back down. All right. Thank you. She's just finishing up a thing. They don't care.
And then after you look for a style, specifically conventions are a problem. And the biggest conventions errors that I see in your papers are possessive apostrophes, either not putting them when they're supposed to be there or when they are there, putting them in the wrong spot. Yes, dear? Uh, what do you do for at all? Because they just um, did at alls. At all apostrophe S? Yes. That's okay. It's okay? Yeah, that's right. Unfortunately, it's right, even though it feels so, so wrong. Is that what you're supposed to do? Yeah. Isn't that terrible? Ellie. Isn't that crazy? Ellie. You mean that she got it right? She told me, she told me to not put the apostrophe S. I'll remember this moment. She has made one mistake in this whole <laughs> class, and that's it, okay? One mistake, okay? Everyone gets one. You know what I'm saying? Um, but yeah, so it's, if you're saying Smith et al's purpose was then it's et al period apostrophe s because it's smith et al's possession yeah it's so gross i know it feels so wrong but it's right so go through and i'm literally mean take your finger and scan through the middle of each line scan for an apostrophe right if there's an apostrophe present there's one of three things is happening right if there's an apostrophe present, it could be that they've used a contraction. Are contractions okay? Like super never. That is a formality issue, right? So if they've made a contraction, well, that's a problem anyway, right? But if the apostrophe is there and it's not a contraction, then they've either misplaced or correctly placed the apostrophe before or after the S. And you have to decide, is it multiple things owning something? And if it's multiple things owning something, it's after the S. If it's one thing owning something, like one author owning something, then it's before the S. But the reason it's before the S on et alls is because et all is considered a singular pronoun. So that goes before the S, even though it's multiple authors. Don't get me started. It's a whole thing. It's a whole thing. So can I see you scanning for apostrophes? I literally mean scan every line, stop at every apostrophe, and ask yourself, is this a contraction? If so, problem. If it's a possessive apostrophe, ask yourself it's the, if it's the right kind. And the other biggest conventions error that is in your papers but before anything else, the biggest conventions error is commas. You guys really struggle with them commas, right? So the first, the first place that you guys miss commas a lot is after introductory phrases, right? So an introductory phrase isn't part of the sentence, it's just giving introductory information to the sentence. You need a comma after that, and most of you forget that comma, right? The next missed comma is when you're inserting an A-positive phrase or a phrase that renames the noun. So for instance, if you were saying uh, Jane Smith an expert in the field wrote in her article, right? You're shoving in the fact that she's an expert in the field. Technically, you're renaming or modifying the noun, which is her name, right? So when you're shoving in information, it's called an apositive phrase or an introductory phrase. And in that case, you need a comma on both sides of it. And then sometimes you guys forget your commas when you're listing things, right? So commas go in between items of a list in a sentence. If you have three items, two commas are necessary. 
And you may think that you don't need that Oxford comma, which is the last comma, but you do. No one's better than the Oxford comma. You know what I'm saying? Literally zero. Yes. Not in the citation, though. So in the works cited citation, the period after et al should stand as the period after the author's name. But in text, et al, the period is part of the spelling of that word. So you need the second period. It's so gross. Yes, dear? Will you look at this one? I don't know. What's that? Will you look at this? I don't, I don't know. Like, is that? That's fine. OK. It just feels wrong to read. They're just trying to not use the word wrote. Okay. That's all. Okay. Just trying to use an annotated verb. That was their attempt. Not mad at it. You're not supposed to put a posture S after master's and bachelor's, right? I've looked this up so many times, and now I've looked it up so many times that I can't remember. I'm pretty sure there is an apostrophe. I'm going to look it up. I have both. I should know, but I don't. So, let me see. Yes, it's with the apostrophe. Because it's possessive, it's a degree that belongs to a master. So it's a master's degree. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah, it should have the apostrophe. Yeah, go mark them. Yeah. The, the, the official grammatical recommendation is that you avoid using that possessive and say that they are a master of science, a master of arts, but that doesn't work with the syntax of our language. So yeah, a possessive apostrophe for masters and bachelors, yeah. Okay, so with that, you should give your paper back to your friend. And with the remaining class time, which is seven minutes, you should make as many uh, revisions as you can. But what you bring next time should be a revised version of this plus your three other annotations. So you should not just keep what you did today and add to it. You should revise what you did today and then do your other three annotations. Yes? 
Okay, good.